Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Revolutionary Health Live, the show that focuses on Black gay men's health and wellness. I am so very excited that you all have come back to share a space with me. I'm your host, Michael Ward. And make sure while you're here that you check out all our social media at CNP Tribe. Um, as well, we're on YouTube and on all your digital streaming platforms as well. Now, Revolutionary Health um, as the podcast. So I'm very excited that you have come back um, here for another episode. Um, I see some faces in the chat already. I'm so very excited that you all are here. Um, tonight is going to be a very interesting conversation. Um, we're dealing with crystal meth. So I just want to preface this by saying that we want to remember that we're still talking about people. Although this is a very sensitive issue, we want to try to remain free of stigmatizing language and um, definitely use people first language as we talk about crystal meth. But I am very excited to have this guest on the show with me tonight. He's a social worker, he's an activist, he's a spoken word artist, he's a teacher, um, journalist. Um, but for tonight, he is my guest here on Revolutionary Health, um, Dr. Keith Green out of Chicago. Um, so he will be talking with me tonight about crystal meth use um, in Chicago. So with Round of applause. Just want to welcome you to the show. How are you doing this evening, Dr. Keith Green? Thank you so much. I am I'm well, a little tired today, but I'm all right. How are you? Hey, yes, I am well myself. Thank Good. you so much. And I can understand being tired. So I'm glad that you are here to have this conversation with me. And I, I won't take up too much of your time. I promise I won't. <laughs> I, I, love, I love being here. So thank you for having me. Yes. Yeah, so I just really want to start off with a high level overview um, really about crystal meth. Um, a lot of uh, people that saw that we will be having this conversation um, and even asking questions like on my social media, um, I like to welcome them of like, what is crystal meth? How do, I, how do we identify, you know, crystal meth within, you know, our circles? And specifically what is, like, what does crystal meth do? And maybe what is the appeal um, that you're seeing within the community? I know it's a lot to throw all at, all at the same time. Yeah, no problem. And I'll try to answer as best I can. So, so first of all, I think that we have to stray away from the crystal part of the language, right? Because it's not always in crystal form that folks are using it, right? Um, and so I think sort of thinking about how we identify it and talking about it as methamphetamine encapsulates all of the different ways that people may be using. Some people inject, some people smoke, some people snort, right? There are a few different ways that folks are using it. Um, so, that, so that's the first thing that I'd like to say. And then I think the appeal is really about the way that it um, helps folks to really let go or lose their inhibitions, right? Um, uh, from, from what we've heard and seen within community, um, it, it, it completely takes people off of their guard and allows them to do things that they may not ordinarily do, right? Um, and, and want to do, or sometimes not want to do, but do anyway. And I think, I think really when it comes down to, uh, one thing that we heard was around um, sexual experience and, the, and, and intimacy with other man, men and challenges with being intimate with other men um, and, and how methamphetamine really does help folks to sort of lose the inhibitions, lose the, the stigma, the shame that they have around it and engage, right? Um, 
So I think that's what I would say about about what meth is and how how it's showing up in community. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. And thank you as well to, uh, like I say, everybody in the chat, feel free to drop questions um, as we have this conversation um, as well. So we can try to incorporate as many of those um, in as possible uh, for you. Um, and as well, one of the, the things um, that I also got is that a lot of black gay men and, and bisexual men as well um, here in Atlanta was like, I, I didn't realize that this was such an issue within the black gay community and that a lot of black, you know, gay and bisexual men are actually using crystal meth. And moving from Jacksonville, Florida here to Atlanta, my first experiences uh, with, with meth was here. Um, so I just kind of wanted to know regionally, what are, what are you seeing in Chicago? And how can we kind of, you know, bring in our black, gay, and bisexual men as well to know about meth? Great question. And, and I think it's important that we do think about this regionally and how it plays out or how it has played out regionally, um, because it, it varies from, from region to region. I think that the coasts saw this, um, that both the East and the West Coast saw this amongst us um, much earlier than, than we've seen it, right? Uh, but as I was sharing earlier, I sat on the Chicago Crystal Meth Task Force back in 2004 as a representative for an organization that I was working for at the time, which primarily served gay white men, but was also serving um, Black and Latino um, gay men as well. Um, and on that task force, the task force itself really was focused on the rise in use amongst white gay men and particularly the circuit party scene, right? We were not seeing it in any significant way amongst black gay men, with, with the exception of, you know, some black gay men who party primarily or mostly with white gay men who were doing meth, but we didn't, we weren't seeing it amongst us. Fast forward to, you know, I would, so, so this really became, it came on my radar a little over two years ago. Um, I had done a dissertation project that was focused in uh, four cities outside of Chicago, although I was in Chicago. So I was kind of disconnected. And as a, a way of, once I, I was hired at Loyola, as a way of reconnecting myself to community, I started reaching out to folks who are working within community-based organizations, a few community stakeholders whom I maintain relationships with, and just having conversations about what what is like from the ground perspective, what is really going on? What, what, what's happening in community? And it, it was very interesting to me that just about everybody I spoke to mentioned that methamphetamine was a, a growing phenomenon in our community, which I thought was quite um, fascinating given the fact, again, my history with it was 2004, Crystal Meth Task Force focused primarily on white gay men. And now we're here where I'm hearing that in the last four to five years, this has really uh, taken a stronghold over our community and has, has, is really having a devastating impact um, overall. Mm. Wow. I mean, yeah, 2004 to uh, 2021. I mean, even in that time frame, what what are some of the reasons and, and things that you're hearing when you're doing your research of how people are um, getting into Matthews? Ah, there are a few things. So, um, one thing that we heard certainly, and, and this came uh, particularly from folks within the ballroom community, um, is that the introduction of meth to that community came by way of sex work. Um, and that it was something that folks engaged in at the urging of 
dates, right? Um, and then became hooked, got into it, and 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 brought it back into community. That's really where, uh, from folks in the house ballroom community in Chicago, suggests that you know the majority of meth use within the community has has come from. Um, but but you know there were we did so we did a series we did a community based participatory research project where we did a series of focus groups as well as interviews with both current and past meth users um, and and there were a couple way of ways that meth has come in so first of all there's you know because more people are doing it within community um, and this this whole loss of inhibition piece is appealing to people there's a, a great deal of curiosity within community, right? So I spoke to folks who, you know, were dating, was date, were dating someone who was using or had used and they were curious and they decided to try it, right? That was, that was another way that it was happening. There's also, you know, unfortunately a bit of predatory, um, uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even call it, I guess it's use, but, but, but folks are in, in some arenas and in some scenes being uh, almost tricked into using meth. Um, without their knowledge, right? We heard stories of folks who were bottoming and the person who was topping uh, put meth on their penis and inserted it into them, right? And and so we've heard that as well. And 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 you know enough to say that it is concerning and alarming. Um, but I think they're, they're, those are the the primary ways that we heard about where meth is coming into into community and folks are getting getting into it. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. And the reason why I asked that question as well is um, in some of my discussions in my friend group, um, uh, one of my friends uh, told a story about um, his first experience with it was uh, through smoking a blunt. And he didn't realize that the blunt was laced with um, crystal crystal meth. And so he noticed is like, of course, the, the taste wasn't what he was used to. And so when he started asking questions, things like that, um, the response that he got from the person that he was with um, at that time is, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it, you know, it's just, you know, something that'll make you feel good, um, which, you know, led him into in a path like that. So I think it's very important, you know, for people to know the different ways, because a lot of times when we hear uh, crystal meth, we just think, you know, it's like you say, the rock form or um, different things like that. So um, just the different ways, but we did get a really interesting question that I wanted to to go back to what you were uh, touching on um, earlier about the uh, task force in Chicago. Um, how did you restart that? What was the process like, and what was the response? You know, in Chicago to the task force. Yeah, so the the restart is a relatively new new thing. I want to give a shout out to the folks at the Chicago Department of Public Health, Antonio King, Dave Kern, um, who have really been responsive to this research from the very beginning, um, right? When I um, approached them, and, and uh, there's so many pieces here, so I wanna make sure that I talk about it as broadly as I can and, 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 and be as intentional as I can. Um, but, you know, institutional memory is something that we have to be thinking about and mindful of, right? Because the folks who were at the health department and, 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 and a part of this task force originally aren't really there, 
right? This is there there are new folks there who didn't like, and a lot of that data, a lot of that information is kind of lost, right? I I even did I had to do a lot of digging to get some of the materials that they pulled together to do social marketing campaign in my hands because so much of the institutional memory is lost, and that's something that we need to be thinking about as you know we move forward with both HIV with substance use, all of it, right? How how do we uh, preserve the institutional memory of the institutions that have been involved in this and, and so that we're not spinning our wheels, that we're not re, you know, recreating the wheel and, and that sort of thing. So, so I have been uh, myself, Dr. Maya Green from Howard Brown Health Center, have really been communicating with our with folks at our health department um, about reigniting this task force since we really first started on this research. Um, and so recently we created a what's known as a docu article, what we're calling a docu article, um, because we wanted this data to be accessible not to, to community and not just to uh, academia or academicians. So we created a docu article that is a 45 minute uh, clip about um, the process of the research. And we did a screening recently invited folks from the health department who were there, our first official screening, um, and they were really moved by what they saw and 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 shifted. I think that we were sort of like in like a neutral gear uh, prior to that, but I think that really shifted the gear and they've reignited the task force, bringing people back to the table. We'll be hosting another screening for providers specifically. And, and one of our, well, we have a couple of asks of the, the health department. Um, so, so one of them is for our health department to uh, analyze and release data that they have about meth use within community. We don't uh, we, we don't expect that they have much, but they do have some data and we'd like it. It's and it's probably old data at this point because we've been asking for it for a little while uh, not to really blast the health department. But I think that that folks in other communities, certainly, you know, if we really want to get a handle on this, we got to kind of know what's happening. So we've asked them for that data, but we've also, you know, asked um, for or are pushing for them to change the ways in which they collect data around substance use and particularly meth use from their partner and funded organizations, right? So we're working with the health department to do that. And then we're also encouraging them to, in the same way that in 2004, they supported a social marketing campaign that was focused primarily on gay white men, that they do the same um, for us. Um, and, and when I say for us, like we're very intentional um, that this impacts our communities in different ways. So we're not a monolithic community for sure. How this looks in ballroom looks different from how it looks in the leather community. Um, looks like right. So they're there. We we want to be very very intentional about the way that we develop social marketing campaigns so that we're not speaking to us as just sort of one you know, homogenous body of folks, but that you really do tap into the, the the differences that exist amongst us and the different reasons why people might be using, as well as the different stages where people might be using it, right? If you are, you know, we, we, We've heard from folks in community and, and it, it can take years for someone to develop an addiction to alcohol after they take their first drink. That time frame could be weeks or even months um, uh, with, with respect to methamphetamine use. 
So we really want to think about like, what does it mean to speak to someone who's curious? Because we know that folks are curious. What is, how do we speak to folks who are curious? How do we speak to folks who use occasionally using a harm reduction perspective, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and understanding how and why people use, like how do we speak to different people? Uh, and that, that's, that's going to take work, but we're all really invested in it and, and, and moving forward with it. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And to touch on that point, too, of why people use, I'm just curious as well with the ongoing pandemic, you know, and a lot of us, especially over the course of last year, uh, were quarantined alone um, and had time to think in, in our thoughts. And um, I'm, I'm just curious as well, like, did the impact of loneliness um, on like Black, gay and bisexual men come up in the research? Is it something that the community should be mindful of? Absolutely, loneliness came up. And and uh, mind you, we our study was actually cut short due to COVID. So we are, are sort of picking back up now at this point, but we literally had to, you know, shut down. Um, and so I can only imagine what the pandemic and what quarantine and 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 social distancing or or physical distancing has done um, as it relates to this particular uh, crises. And I think it, it's not just the, you know, it's it's the loneliness aspect. It is the the all of the social determinants that we talk about, uh, you know, all the time. Right. Folks, folks talked about, you know, using hooking up with someone to use meth in order to have a place to lay their head at night. Right. Folks talked about using meth um, because they they decided to ride the train at night and it kept them up because they didn't have anywhere to go sleep. So they rode the train all night long um, because they didn't have anywhere to sleep. Um, and so or, or they were sleeping somewhere that was not safe. So they used meth so that at least they knew that they were up awake and somewhat in their in their mind. They could you know, they could focus on what might have what harm might come to them if they fell asleep. And so I think that, you know, it's not it's not just the loneliness and the isolation, but it's also all of the other things that I think we have yet to even realize that are going to come about or that are coming about as a result of this pandemic. Right. Um, the, and the, the losses that, you know, that that happened within community. There's so much. I think that, you know, th there's a perfect storm that is 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 brewing um, for, for a, a further meth, meth crisis in our community. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I I think um, as well too. One of the one of the challenges I think in the pandemic as well is how do we now reach the community to do harm reduction? Um, because for some of those reasons, it doesn't necessarily look like um, what it's some of the messaging that's around meth use, right? It's you know um, party and play. But with the pandemic, what are some of the the ways that you all are thinking about harm reduction principles uh, moving forward. Uh, yet another great question. So I think you know there are a few things that that we're thinking about, right? We're we're first of all we're we're thinking about how we connect to current resources and service providers um, to ensure that it, a there's you know cultural humility in the way that they approach their work and that they're also approaching it from a harm reduction perspective um, so we're, we're working to sort of build 
a network. Um, you know, another thing, again, I could, there's so much I could say and want to say. Um, but but one, one thing I think that's really important is that this work started in academia, right? This started as part of my research at Loyola University, Chicago. Um, and, and now, and, but as a, a, a community-based participatory research project that is now owned by community. So there's a community-based organization, Project Vita, that actually has, uh, has received funding for the next iteration of the work, which is really to focus on developing and strengthening networks of care and support that includes service providers, but also includes social outlets and activities that don't involve the bars and the clubs, right? Um, I think that's for whatever reason, that's still an issue within our community. Um, I think it's interesting that I, I think and hope maybe like the virtual spaces that have come about as a result of, of COVID and, and, and isolation and quarantine and all of that will continue to exist and continue to, to, to engage folks. But I think, you know, those physical spacings, spaces, gatherings, that kind of thing, um, there's not a lot of it outside of the bars and clubs. And there's not a lot of it that is focused um, on, you know, who we are and, and sort of strengthening our our self and, and our networks and that kind of thing. So so the work there is really focused on it's, it's called Link Up Chicago. It's uh, housed at Project Vita. The folks who were involved in the research, the community community researchers, as we've called them, are still manning that. Right. It's still it's still in the hands of community, but but really focused on strengthening networks, um, strengthening relationships with providers, educating providers who are serving us or those who have either not historically served us or who don't serve us from a harm reduction perspective. Um, you know, the, the thing about the thing we heard about treatment facilities was that, you know, so they're not necessarily designed to speak to meth use, first of all, and, and, and folks like admitted outright that sometimes they would go into a treatment facility largely because it was uh, a place to stay and not be on the cold streets of Chicago for a couple of nights until they got put out for their next drop because they, they dropped dirty the next time, right? Um, and so like thinking about like, how, how do we intervene there, right? How do we uh, help to establish more, um, so more facilities and, and resources that are culturally um, appropriate and respectful, um, but also that employ harm reduction uh, principles and philosophies in, in the work. Um, and that's a challenge. It's, it has been a challenge, but, but, but we have lots of great partners here in Chicago who are, um, you know, willing to get dirty with us and do the work. Yes, and definitely thank you for doing the work. And I just want to throw in too, I, I think even in having these conversations um, in community is still stigma. Um, it's still so much that comes up that, um, you know, kind of prevents or makes people think twice maybe about accessing care such as treatment facility or asking for help um, once they realize that they may have, you know, um, an addiction. So I'm really curious. Um, I know we have to wrap up, but um, if folks need support, you know, if they're interested in, you know, managing or reducing, you know, their meth use, uh, what should they do? What are some resources that you can give? Uh, well, so if you're in Chicago, I would suggest that you connect with the Link Up Collective. We're on Facebook. I believe it's Link Up Chicago or Link Up Shy on Facebook. Also, Instagram. 
um, and 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 folks uh, at Link Up Chicago can certainly connect folks with a variety of different resources. I think that you know many of the community-based organizations that have historically served us and, and particularly around HIV prevention, treatment care, um, are also grappling with how to deal with this, right? Um, because if we're thinking about ending the epidemic, I, I strongly believe that there, you know, th this is where, um, you know, this is where we have to make an impact if we're going to really end the epidemic. Um, and so uh, lots of the community-based organizations are grappling with how to deal with this. So I would, I would, my first response would be to have folks to connect with their local community-based organizations that have historically served us. Right. Um, and, and, and there are, I don't know what's, uh, I, I see something happening in the chat, but uh, hopefully there's a, a resource somewhere that sort of compiles those. That's the first, the first thing, um, you know, and, and then uh, this is twofold, I think, and I know we have to wrap, but I'm, I want to say this. I think that our efforts need to not only focus on folks who are using um, or who may be potentially using, but also the folks who will support them. Um, one of the 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 most one, a thing one thing that sticks with me from the research was a focus group that we did with with leaders within the house ballroom community who were frustrated, um, hurt, angry, right, at the way that this has taken hold of their communities and they don't know what to do. Folks talked about like their house parents or, or house fam their family members who, you know, were they're really close to who wouldn't return their phone calls, you know, like it's gone, it's gone to that, gotten to that place, right? And so how do we support each other um, to support each other. I think that part of it we have to also focus on because it's not always going to be about getting people into some facility or some, you know, standard treatment care, right? It's going to be about community wrapping their arms around that person. Um, and from, again, a harm reduction perspective, okay, baby, you, if, th if, if this is your thing, this is your thing. Here's how you can do it in a way that, you know, will at least help you to stay healthy. Right. Um, thinking about how we support people within communities, support people who are using is going to be is critically important. Yes. And thank you. As you pointed out, um, we are dropping the links in the chat um, to link up Chicago, as well as you can download the CNP Black Gay Men's Conversation Guide on Crystal Meth um, as well. That um, gives you some tips as well, too, with harm reduction um, and language. So thank you so much um, for having this conversation and sharing all the wonderful work that you are doing in Chicago. I just want to offer you an opportunity um, as we wrap up. Any last thoughts? Um, how can people find you if they have questions and find out more about the work that you're doing? Yeah. So, so first of all, thank you for having me here. Thank you to the Counter Narrative Project for um, Counter Narrative has been talking about crystal meth for some time, and 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 one of the the few uh, forces in our community that has been talking about crystal meth for some time. So I want to first of all say thank you, CNP, for the work that you have done and continue to do. Um, and you know, I think uh, I didn't get to talk about the the relationship to spirituality and this intersection of of sexuality substance use and spirituality i i would love to come back maybe and talk about that because that was a a big part of it but i think that we have to 
um, you know, look beyond what we've traditionally done as it relates to um, HIV prevention and treatment as we think about uh, substance use and, and particularly meth use, right? And think about how we engage spirituality and how we engage. I, I know like the, the we talk about the church all the time in the Black church, but, you know, there wasn't an interview or focus group um, that we did where our connection, our desire to have connection, relationship, communion with God in some way, shape or form did not come up. And so I think we have to think about that. Um, and we have to think about how we, uh, you know, we, we, there, there are many of us in our community who are hurting and who are broken. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have to think about how we heal ourselves and our brothers. So, but we have, we have some time to explore that if you, if you definitely want to um, explore that, because I think as well, an out of box, you know, harm reduction standpoint is involved in the faith community as well in, in crystal meth. So we have a, a few moments if you want to explore that. Yeah. I, I don't know if we can do it in a few moments. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think, I, I think I did hit it though. Right. Like the, mm -hmm. yeah, that we have to, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, a part of the experience on meth for some, for, for some folks was uh, a spiritual experience, right? And it's hard to sort of think about that from the because 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 of the way we have been trained to think about substance use and the and the negative aspects of it, right? Um, there 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 is a there or for some folks there is a spiritual element there, and so um, and we we really do have to think about what this intersection is, and we and we also you know we heard folks say. I can only bottom when I am on meth, right? And mm -hmm. that had nothing, I wouldn't say nothing to do, but that had very little to do with the, um, the, the actual physical act of bottoming that can be painful for some people or whatever the case may be, right? It was all about the psychological, right? And so folks, in order to sort of reduce their self stigma and shame around not just being black and gay but but being you know but but bottoming in a situation or or, or being receptive in a submissive in a situation right that meth was the tool that they used to sort of get them there and and i and and i know that a lot of that is external right a lot of that comes from external but there's so much of it and and we've talked about you all have talked about this here um on the, on this particular show right so much of it is internal as well, right? There's so much bottom shaming that happens, which is so crazy to me because, well, we won't even go there, but 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 there's so much of it that happens um, both internally and externally. And we need to, as a community, right? We need to address that um, and shut that down. Um, so yeah, there's I could I could go off on so many tangents here and, and, and not enough time to go off on them. But um, you can so I can be reached at uh, you can email me swkgreen at gmail.com um, or um, I'm on Facebook as uh, Keith Skateboard Revolution Green. I spend more of my time there than I do on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter as Keith Romel as well. So um, yeah, feel free to for, to reach out. Yes, thank you. And as well, use this show as a resource. Um, if you know people that this information may be useful for, direct them to watch the Facebook Live as well as once it's up um, on all our platforms and as well with the CNP guide. So definitely thank you again, Dr. Green, for, for joining me tonight to have this very important conversation to everyone in the chat that dropped questions, um, that let us know your thoughts that we're here tonight. 
Um, definitely, definitely appreciate it. But we definitely want to make sure that this conversation continues outside of just this forum. So again, share it with your friends um, and people that you know uh, that may be interested. Follow us on all our social media as well at CMP Tribe. And as always, be good to yourself. Until next time, see you later. Bye, everybody.